welcome to the Meta Church Podcast. We're thankful that you're taking part of your day to spend it with us, and we pray this message encourages you, inspires you, and leads you to experience the transformative power of Jesus in your life. Hey, we are uh, in the final week of a series we've called Meta 3.0, and it's just kind of Uh, catch you up. This is our sixth week. uh, And so we've kind of talked through a a different kind of approach to this series. And uh, we've talked about how Meta Church is something that we, you know, started six, nearly six years ago, believe it or not. Uh, And when COVID hit, it kind of forced us to have to restart and to replan. And so we said that everything before COVID was Meta 1.0 and then coming out of COVID was Meta 2.0. And so we started off the year and said, okay, what is the next iteration, the next evolution, the next wrinkle in our church's story, which is what we're calling Meta 3.0. And we've said, we've qualified it by saying, we are not there yet, but this is what we're aspiring toward. And this is what we're moving toward. And this is what we're aiming for as a church. And we said that, well, no, we are in Meta 3.0 when we see this keyword of manifestation the evidence of something surfacing that is apparent, that is visible, that is obvious to other people. Specifically, we said that Meta 3.0 will be marked or characterized by the manifestation of five different things. And I've got these up on the screen for you. We said that we're going to talk about manifestation. We'll see manifestation of the Holy Spirit, of prayer, of worship, of faith. Um, Transportation is not the word, but it should be transformation. (laughs) And everyone look back at uh, Krista on Pro Presenter and realize it was not her. So, you know, because the computer person always ends up taking the fall. That was me. And the software doesn't have autocorrect. Um, although it's spelled correctly, so I don't know that I could have been saved. Um, and so, so transformation, we'll just pretend there's an F there and, you know, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get it figured out. But transformation is what we're talking about today. The fifth and final installment of Meta 3.0. Now, transformation is something that is embedded in our culture, embedded in our culture. If you think about, you know, some of the most popular, let's just kind of use this one area as an example, reality television. Think of some of the most popular television shows, reality television shows over the last 20 years. And, and, and you'll see this theme of transformation as a narrative throughout. In fact, here's just an example of some of these different ones, right? So you have like The Biggest Loser, you have Fixer Upper, which is about homes, you have The Voice, uh, you have Extreme Makeover Home Edition, not to be confused with the far more controversial Extreme Makeover People Edition, uh, and that only had a four season run. Uh, Worst Cooks in America, all of these with the exception, well actually, yeah, these five, um, all have like seasons that have lasted more than 12 or 13 seasons, okay? So extremely popular. And if you think about the common narrative, what these things are or what they share in common is transformation. Biggest loser, someone losing weight, someone transforming their physical bodies from one thing to another. Now, I'm not saying these things are perfect or don't have any sort of kind of controversial or ethical questions associated with them. But the biggest loser was a person being transformed physically from one way to another, from an unhealthy lifestyle, hopefully ultimately to a healthy lifestyle. You think about Fixer Upper, they're buying these ugly homes and then converting them and Joanna Gaines has built an empire off of transforming homes. You think about the voice, right? And it's this story and it's like, you know, this like kind of homely looking person and, and it's like, like, did they like put makeup on you, make it look like you didn't know how to match an outfit and like, you know, all these things, right? And then they get up and they they belt it out and they can sing. And then by the season finale, it's like, they're like a mega pop star and they've transformed completely. Right? They, they looked one way and now they're like, you know, super tight, skinny jeans. And you can tell, like, you know, whether the quarter in their pockets, heads or tails, like it's just like all like massive transformation. 
and they've been completely transformed on The Voice, right? You know, Extreme Makeover Home Edition, right? It would literally be like a house, if you don't remember. This is like, you know, two decades ago. It would be a house that, again, was just falling apart, a family in dire need of help or assistance. And the guy, the host, if you remember Ty Pennington, right? What was the slogan? What was the, what was the phrase that he would say? Move that, move that bus, right? And they would move the bus, and then it'd be like this mega mansion right next to like the middle of nothing. <laughs> but the, the house got transformed. And then Worst Cooks in America on Food Network, one of these shows that's been running for ages, and it's all about transformation. Someone who can't cook, and then all of a sudden they get opportunity to go on the show, and the goal is to transform them into someone who can cook. Transformation is embedded in our culture. But it's not just reality television, right? You think about the movies, your favorite movie. You think of it. Someone off the top of your head, what's your favorite movie? Parent Trap, what is it? Interstellar, okay. Devil Wears Prada. Devil Wears Prada, okay, great. Now, I don't need to know the details or the ins and outs of your favorite movie, but chances are that main character, chances are that person that's kind of featured in that film undergoes some sort of character transformation over the course of that film. Transformation is embedded in our culture. It's something that's just apart from reality television uh, to um, movies and film. You think about neighborhoods, right? And you think about cities and, and societies, and we're like, wow, it got transformed. Remember, I used to go to this part of town, and it was nothing here. Yeah, I just spent the week in Columbia, South America with my mom, and we were kind of hanging out in her city where she grew up. And we went over to the far side of the city over in the eastern part of uh, Pereira, Colombia, and we were hanging out over there. And she's like, yeah, when I was here, this was nothing. When I was here as a kid, this was just mountains, and now you have tens of thousands of people, multiple neighborhoods. And so we, we are compelled and moved and engaged and, and, and just kind of innately connected to transformation. The, at the end of the day, the reality is, whether it's a reality television show or a movie or a, a city or a neighborhood, we love a good transformation story. We love a good transformation story. And if you're taking notes and if you care to, to write a, a, a title for the message, the title of this message is quite simply, or quite simple. It's called Living Your Best Story. Living Your Best Story. Now, we all love a good transformation story. It matters deeply to us. We care about it in television. We care about it in movies. We care about it in society. And we care about it in our personal lives. And the reason why we love a good transformation story is because we know the best stories, the best stories involve transformation. Now you think about a movie or a film or a show, again, to kind of continue with that illustration, one that you didn't like, one that it just didn't get there for you. Chances are there wasn't enough transformation taking place. Chances are there wasn't enough change. There wasn't enough pivoting. There wasn't enough, um, you know, kind of metamorphosis occurring that made it feel emotional or connected or real or sincere. We know that the best stories are transformation stories, which is why, which is why people will spend thousands of dollars, countless hours, and engage in multiple, a multitude of experiences, hoping that they can experience transformation in some way, hoping that they'll go in one way and come out another They'll spend thousands of dollars on their physical bodies. They'll spend thousands of dollars on experience. In fact, um, I'll, I'll not say who. Um, don't worry, it's no one in this room. Um, but there's an NFL football player who is contemplating what he should do next with his career, what he should do next with his life. And he literally said, I'm going on a darkness retreat 
which will give me inspiration for what I'm supposed to do next. I don't know what a darkness retreat is. I imagine you can just go to your room, close the curtains, flip off the lights. Pretty inexpensive. Although I sense he probably will spend a bit more money on this darkness retreat. And what he's saying is, I need to know, is there more to what I'm doing? I'm looking for something more. I want to be transformed. And that's what we care about. We we seek these things because we hope ultimately that it will produce something in us or through us or beyond us that we don't yet have. And this, this is where Meta comes in. This is where our church comes in. Not because we're the key, not because we have some sort of secret sauce or some sort of like recipe or formula that will help things happen automatically. But as we kind of talk about this meta 3.0 journey, one of the things that uh, is important to me is not just that we kind of look forward to what's next or look forward to what we experience or step into, but we understand and recognize where we've come from. Because even in this process, in this process of starting a church, you see, for me, this originated in August of 2004. In August of 2004, I was a freshman at Trinity Baptist College in Jacksonville, Florida, ignorant to just about anything and everything in terms of where God wanted me, what he wanted me to do. And somehow in that first year, in fact, I was so naive, so unaware. I literally, this school, I think at the time had 375 or 380 students total, like in the whole college, okay? I graduated high school that had 3,000 and something, So it was like a massive, but I literally thought, I was so naive, I literally thought this was the only 300 Christians in the world who wanted to start a church. I didn't know there were other options because I didn't know people wanted to do this thing. I didn't know people wanted to start churches. I didn't know people needed, you know, felt called to go into vocational ministry. So I ended up going to this school and I'm talking with a group of people and, you know, working through different things, learning like, oh, wow, there's more than one Bible college. That's awesome. Good to know there's more than 300 Christians and the burden of the world is not just on us. Um, that's really good to know. And so in, in that moment or in that space, in August of 2004, I wasn't sure really what I was supposed to do. I just sensed like this is what I was supposed to do is go to this school. And over the course of the first few weeks, it became clear to me that God had spoken and the Holy Spirit had kind of moved in my life and said, no, one day I'm going to lead you back to New York where you're from and you're going to start a church in New York City. A year later at that same school is where I would meet my wife. We would start dating. We'd eventually get married. And I would share this dream with her. And not just this dream, but this calling of like, this is what I'm going to do one day with my life. You kind of fast forward about a dozen years um, into the spring of 2016. We were on a trip over to England. We were hanging out in Cardiff, Wales. Uh, and, and so we moved over to Cardiff, Wales. And, and there in Cardiff, Wales, the Holy Spirit again spoke and moved and was like, it's time for you to go back to New York and start this church. And within the next year, you will be back in New York City. And so we left England, we left the UK, we came back to the States and started making plans or like praying into, okay, God, what does this look like? Where does this go? And so that, you know, just kind of started the formal process of moving back to New York City. We were living in South Carolina at the time to start a church, but there was not really a big issue, but an important issue in that we didn't have a name for the church. And so, you know, that kind of matters. I suppose you could just call it church and, and then people were like, okay, but then that probably creates a little more like People show up, well, what's the name of the church? He's like, oh, it's just church. And you're like, well, what's the legal name of the church? Church Inc. Um, you know, or like, you know, I don't know. It's just like a name kind of matters, I think. And so we started thinking through like, okay, well, what is it that we're supposed to do? Who is it that God is calling us to be? And what is it that, um, you know, he's kind of producing or to use that word, manifesting in us that is the burden or kind of the mission tied to who we are as a church. 
And for us, you know, without getting into a whole ton of details, we had just gone through this massive transformation in our marriage. And we had just gone through this massive change and this overhaul of restoration and redemption from brokenness to wholeness. And, and that was kind of at the core of this vision. Like, what if, what if God is calling us back to New York so that we could help like, offer that and encourage that and inspire that for others? What if... What God wants us to do is not just like have a church where we worship and sing, but what if we lead a church where change takes place? And so we started kind of um, like just playing around with this word change. And we're like, well, change church sounds a little weird, maybe even a little bit like kind of um, presumptuous, uh, to put it nicely, arrogant, to to put it kind of not so nicely, like, oh, you're going to come here, you're going to change. Well, that kind of assumes a lot. And it doesn't really sound great. So, okay, well, change is what we're after, but change church doesn't necessarily work for a name. And we're like, well, really, it's more than change. It's like transformation. And then transformation church is like, well, that's kind of, you know, that's long and that'll never work. And then like, yeah, I don't know, eight years later, there's like a bunch of transformation churches that are doing great and doing awesome. Um, and so uh, it was just, but, but transformation is really what we're after. And so I just started thinking, you know, in that little Bible college, I took two years of Koine Greek, which is the Greek of the New Testament. And, and I remembered, well, what's the, what's the word for change? What's the word for transformation there? And it was the word meta. But meta isn't just change. In fact, meta means change, but it also means more than and beyond. It's not just change for change's sake. It's not like, oh, I don't want to wear this shirt anymore, so let me take it off and swap it out for a different one. It's something more than that. It's transcendent. It goes beyond the simplicity of changing. Now, some of you showed up today and you're like, okay, Meta, well, they really jumped on the bandwagon with Facebook over here. No, we didn't. I'm not jumping on any Facebook bandwagon, to be honest with you. (laughs) I did back when it was a .edu address, but since then, I'm like, I'm on it for my mom and my aunts. Um, and, and, And that works out well. But Meta means change. And it means more than. And it means beyond. And this particular word, Meta, is what we connected with. And I was like, wow, that's, that's exactly what's happened in our lives. God didn't just like, you know, repair a broken marriage. He didn't just repair a broken Ricky. He gave us something new. He gave us something whole. He gave us something different. He gave us something that was more than and beyond anything we could have imagined. And so that's what we want. And if we could lead a church and if we could plant a church and if we could cast a vision for people, that's what we want them to experience. That's what we want them to tap into and to understand that God has so much more for you, that he wants to take you beyond anything you could envision, that the change he has for you is not because you're not good enough, but the change he has for you is because he sees so much more potential in where you could be, and that's where he wants to lead you. And this particular word, meta, is actually used three times in the New Testament. It's used in Matthew chapter 17 in the story which we refer to as the transfiguration of Jesus, where Jesus goes up on a mountainside with three of his closest friends, and there in the presence of these people, he is transformed into a divine, almost kind of um, angelic or holy being from a physical to a spiritual presence in their very eyes, right before their very eyes. And the word that is used there says he is transformed, he is meta before them. And then Romans chapter 12 is the second instance in which Paul writes to the church and he says, now be transformed, be meta by the renewing of your mind. And then the third time is in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And 2 Corinthians 3.18 is the verse that I want to share with you up on the screen today. It says this, so all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the spirit, makes us more and more like him. Notice this, as we are changed as we are meted 
into his glorious image. As we thought about this word, as we thought about this vision of being changed, of being transformed, we said, that's what we want for people. Not that they become more like Ricky. Trust me, you don't want that. Not that they become more like Krista or another leader in our church, but that they become more like Jesus, changed into his glorious image. That's the church we want to lead. That's the church we want to plant. That's the church we want to pastor. That's what we're after. You see, from the very beginning, the Holy Spirit made it clear to us, go back to New York and find the people who felt like you felt when you lived here, when your life was crumbling, when things were falling apart, when your marriage was on the rocks, when you were on the brink of meeting with a divorce attorney and you were th you're threatening suicide or thinking about what would I do or how my family would be better without me involved. Literally, real thoughts I had. Find those people and let them know what I can do. Find those people and share with them that there can be change, that there can be hope, that there can be transformation, that something can be different through the power of Jesus' name. And God has given this to us. God has called us to us. In fact, Paul goes on to write in the very next chapter, the very next verse, 2 Corinthians 4, 1. He says, therefore, since we have this ministry, this ministry of transformation, this ministry of meta, this ministry of changing people into God's glorious image, because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. And you know what I held on to during those dark days of 2020 and 2021 and those moments where it's like, God, what are we doing? Do we stop? Do we quit? Do we start over? Do we just blow it up and say a few years down the road, we'll come back and figure this out? It was this. You have given us this ministry, this ministry of transformation. And we have to hang on to this thing. We have to steward this thing. We have to drive this thing forward. We have to believe for it, even when there is no evidence that this is taking place at the moment or that it will take place in the future. And from the very beginning, God has called us to this. And, and what I've realized over the last few years, pastorally speaking, is that God has given to us, God has given to Meta Church a ministry of transformation. A ministry of transformation. One in which we are going to pursue what God wants for our people, not for the sake of like simplicity or not for the sake of like trendiness or not for the sake of what's cool or what's flashy or whatever else you might be, but for the sake of helping people experience the transformative power of Jesus in their lives. And that's what we've sought to build. And that's what we've sought to create with Meta Church. You see, Meta has always been, and as long as we're kind of involved in leading, and Meta will always be a place where transformation takes place, a place where transformation is pursued, a place where transformation is encouraged, a place where transformation is not just something that we look at or talk about, but we celebrate it when we see it. We rejoice when it's happening, not just in the lives of others, but in our own very lives, myself included. You see, we believe that by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter where you've come from, what you've experienced, what's happened in your life, what's been said of you, what's been told about you, what you've experienced or where you walked through, that the transformative power of Jesus is readily available for you. This is what we believe. And this is what we're going to pursue. And this is what we're going to seek. And this is what we're after. It doesn't matter how many hurts or hangups. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all sorted out and say, okay, I've been a perfect Christian my whole life. You don't even have to be in this very moment today a Christian. Just say, God, I'm willing to go with you. Jesus, I'm willing to step into this. Jesus, I'm willing to experience this. This is what Meta offers you. Not just Meta the church or Meta the quote brand, but Meta the word. 
that you would be transformed more and more into the image of God. And this is what we're believing for. And this is what we're pursuing and pushing toward with Meta 3.0. More and more transformation, more and more change, more and more into the glorious image of Christ. You see, when we set out to start Meta Church, and I've said this before, and I feel like it's one of these things that I just kind of repeat over and over and over. We didn't pack up and sell everything and come back to New York City where our lives crumbled into the same neighborhood, to the same restaurants where we argued and fought. We didn't come back here to be good Christians. We didn't come back here to start a good church. We came to be impactful ones. We came to start an impactful church. And impact happens through transformation. We've done our best. We've not been perfect, but we've done our best to keep transformation, the transformative power of Jesus at the forefront of who we are and who we do. It's, it's why we exist. It's our mission statement. Literally, it's up here on the screen. Meta Church exists to help people experience the transformative power of Jesus in their lives. You go to our website, front and center on our website, because this is what we're about for each and every person who desires it. This is what we're seeking. And this matters so deeply to me. It matters so deeply to me that several years back, I began trying to like think through, okay, God, how do I like, how, how do I like, I don't know, how do I draw something or create something, like a tool or a framework that helps me understand like, yes, this is something that helps people experience the, trans, like, like a lens of sorts that can help me understand the decisions we make, the whys behind the what, like these are the things that are helping people experience the transformative power of Jesus in their lives. And then I kind of drafted up like a little, again, it's like a tool, it's a framework, you can call it what you want. I've, because it is alliterated, I've decided to call it like a meta matrix. And, and, and here's, here's what it looks like. I created this little X, Y axis several years back. And, and at the top, you can see there, there's God. And at the bottom, you can see there's kind of religious or, or, or religion. On the left, there's stagnant or stagnation. And then on the right, there's change. You are on that kind of horizontal line. Our church is on this vertical line. And then there's four different resulting quadrants. And, and I kind of worked on this tool for, for a while to kind of like think through like, okay, what is it? Like, help me understand when I make a decision, is it helping people from a church perspective? Is it helping people become and draw closer to God? Or is it just creating another form of kind of religiosity or something that like, you know, is like, oh, wow, yeah, this is what you're supposed to do. But it's really not something that is moving people toward the heart of God and who he is. And then on the one side, there's, you know, stagnant, where people are just idle. They're not changing. They're the same. Listen, I don't know if this ever happened to you, but I've been a part of Christian communities where the Christians have been there for decades, and they're exactly the same as they were three, four decades ago. They haven't changed. They haven't grown. They haven't transformed. And that just becomes stagnant. And so we're going to move people toward change where they're experiencing that transformative power, where they're changing more and more into the image of God. And it creates these four quadrants, right? On the bottom left, there's this quadrant that's deadly, where you're just stagnant and religious. You are spiritually dead. Spiritually dull, spiritually dead. Nothing changes, nothing moves. But then there's also this kind of neighboring quadrant on the right, where you are doing things, you're changing, but it's self-serving because it's just making kind of padding my ego or padding our church's stats or, or whatever it is that you want to kind of label it as. You're not really becoming more like God or drawing closer to the heart of God, but it's self-serving because it looks the part. 
You can kind of get patted on the back for it. You can get recognized, maybe even celebrated in some cultures or some churches. And then on the top left, there's this place where you can do the things God is asking you to do. And so, yes, in theory and in practice, you are, um, you know, serving, whatever, giving, volunteering, helping out. You're a kind person. You're not doing things bad. You're, you're representing the heart of God well, but you're not growing. And, and that just becomes a, a compromised place. Because, again, for the sake of presence or for the sake of appearance, you're offering something, but you're not experiencing the transformative power of Jesus. And then ultimately, there's the top right quadrant where you are changing, and that change is helping you draw closer to God, sincerely, genuinely. And and I just kind of drafted this tool as a means of, like, okay, if I can make decisions that help people land in this top right quadrant, then we're doing what we're supposed to do as a church. If we can kind of guide people to make decisions like this. And listen, this is something that I've used for years, and it's been extremely consequential and beneficial to our church. And if you want, screenshot it, use it for yourself. But what I want to offer to you today and what I want to submit to you today is not just this kind of little meta matrix, but I want to offer to you five questions that are going to help you step toward transformation. Because I'll be honest with you, this is a great guide for me, but there are circumstances and situations and moments where I'm not sure what the decision is that I'm making. I'm not sure where it's exactly pinpointing because I, I don't know, like, okay, what's my motive in this? What is the, you know, what's the outcome going to be? And, and it can be kind of confusing. So I want to offer to you five questions that will help you move toward transformation, that will ultimately help you. The answer to these questions can help or hinder you from living your best story. So here's question number one. Do I accept truth or deny it? Truth is the start of transformation. Truth, being truthful with yourself, being truthful about yourself, is the start of transformation. Transformation begins when you say, I need to deal with this reality. I need to deal with this area of my life. I need to deal with this aspect of who I am. I need to address this situation. It might require that I need to change some things in my life. It might require that I need to be honest and say, no, I don't want transformation. Or no, I've not been seeking transformation. Or no, I've not been engaging in a transformative relationship with Jesus. Truth is the starting point of transformation. See, some people are unable to experience transformation in their lives because they're unwilling to accept and embrace the truth. They deny that there's anything happening. They deny that there's a need to grow. They deny that there's any issues taking place. They deny that God is even capable of changing who they are. And so they deny and deny and deny. And in turn, end up or unable to experience transformation. And that's why Jesus spoke these words. John 8, 32, he said this, You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You see, so long as you deny the truth, you will be stuck and remain trapped in bondage. When you deny the truth about yourself, when you deny the truth about God, you are remaining and tying yourself to bondage and preventing and prohibiting yourself from experiencing any sort of transformation. And Jesus said the truth will actually set you free. Sometimes we think the truth is going to be hard and it's going to be hard to stomach and it's going to be hard to accept and it's going to be hard to deal with. And those things might be true. But what's more true is that if you don't accept those things, you're also going to have to deal with the truth that you're going to be stuck and remain exactly where you are. And if you think to yourself, 
man, a year from now, 2024, I want my life to look like X, Y, Z, then you better start today dealing with yourself in truth. This is where transformation begins. This is where transformation starts. And so choosing and expecting or experiencing a, a truth in your life is what's going to change where you go. It's going to change where you end up. Question number two, do I lean into pain or avoid it? Now, pain is an unavoidable part of life. Yet most of us, ironically, spend much of our lives trying to avoid it. We all know you, you don't have to live very long. You can be 10 years old. You can be 15 years old. You can be six years old. You can be 60 years old. We know pain is part of life. We're going to experience pain. And yet most of us, for most of us, we do whatever we can to avoid. Now, let me be clear. I'm not suggesting that we go out looking for pain. <laughs> I'm not recommending that you find ways to hurt yourself or that you do something that's going to put you in a position or a situation in which you're going to be hurt. But let me tell you what I've learned. What I've learned is that there are few things in my life that will change me, that will transform me like pain. There are few things that have been able to produce the transformation in my life like suffering. The things that I've walked through, the hurts that I've been through. I was just talking with my mom actually this past week about some of those things. And I was telling her, you know, in 2020, here's kind of what was going on. And we were talking about and reminiscing some of these things and some of these experiences. And I was walking through and I said, Mom, I was like the whole year from like December 31, 2019, starting the year, January 1, all the way through the end. Like it was just wave after wave after wave of like soul crushing pain. And 2021 became a year of like dizziness, <laughs> like trying to figure out where, where am I, what's happening. And moving into 2022 became a year of like, you know, from healing to hope. And I was somewhere, I was like, you know, today I was like, I'm whole, I'm healthy, but, but I'm better because of those things. I'm better because of those things. And I was reminded of David's words, Psalm 119.71. David wrote, my suffering was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. When was the last time you said, God, this suffering is good for me? God, this pain is beneficial. Instead, we often cry out, God, take it away. God, remove it. God, why me? What, what did I do to deserve this? or to experience this? Why is no one else going through this? Why is it that I just went through that thing and now there's another thing? But David wrote, my suffering was good for me. And what I realized looking back on my life, I don't, listen, trust me, I don't want to go back and experience it again. But I don't want to go back and change it either. Because the transformation that it produced and that it cultivated and it grew. You see, the temptation is to avoid or to suppress or to numb the pain. But do you lean into the pain? Because when you lean into the pain, you can experience transformation. When you lean into what's happening, what's broken, what's hurting, what's wounded, it's when you press into that. It's like going to a doctor and the, you, you know, the doctor's like, oh, where do you hurt? And you're like, oh, nowhere. Don't worry about it, doctor. Like, well, you, you booked an appointment with me. No, no, I'm, I'm good, I promise. 
but you showed up to my office, so tell me, where does it hurt? You have to lean into it, and when you lean into it, you can be healed from it, and you can be transformed by it. Question number three, do I choose comfort over challenge? Now, most of us, most of us are creatures of habit, and being creatures of habit, that means we tend to prefer and we most often choose the path of least resistance. We choose what's easy, we choose what's convenient, and we choose what's comfortable. Now, one of the things that I have struggled to identify or struggled to find in my time following Jesus is a place or a point in scripture where we're taught that comfort is the goal of a believer. I just haven't been able to find it. And I'm not saying it's not there, but if you know it, text me afterwards. Because I've yet to find a verse. I've yet to find an example. I've yet to find a story in which comfort is the thing that we're instructed to pursue. I've yet to find a moment where Jesus said to himself and to his friends, hey guys, let's just do what's easy. Let's just do what's comfortable. I mean, this dying on the cross thing, can we put that back next week? I mean, next Friday, why don't we just have dinner, chill out, it's Passover. Now, I find moments where we're promised that we will be comforted, but we are comforted because we went through challenge. We're comforted because we navigated something difficult. And I find other moments and I find other passages where we're called or we're, you know, we're called as Christians overcomers or we're called victors or more than conquerors. What are you conquering if it's comfortable? What are you having victory over if it's easy? What are you being celebrated for or overcoming if you didn't have to step over something? Do we seek or do I choose comfort over challenge? Instead, we're told that there will be challenges, that there will be resistance, that there will be opposition, that there will be difficulty, that there will be obstacle. In fact, John 16, 33, Jesus said, listen, in this world, you will have many troubles, but take heart for I have overcome them all. And then Paul would write this. 1 Corinthians 9, 27, he says, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Paul was like, man, listen, just like an athlete is disciplining himself, just like an athlete is training himself, just like an athlete is preparing herself, I do those same things with my body spiritually so that I could do what it's supposed to do, so that I could go through the challenges, so that I could go through the resistance, so that I could withstand the oppositions, so that I can overcome the difficulties and the hardships in my life. He was willing to endure difficulty, to do something uncomfortable, to take on challenge if it meant he could pursue and fulfill what God I'd call them to fulfill. And yet there are so many times in my life and so many times in the lives of my friends where it's like, man, I just want to do what's easy. And I don't just want to do what's easy, but I choose what's easy. I choose what's comfortable. Instead of, like Paul spoke, disciplining my body to do what it's supposed to do, to work through the difficulties. Speaking of discipline, question number four, do I embrace discipline or resist it? Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to assume that there's not a single person in this room watching online, listening to the podcast, who loves to be disciplined. Not a single person. Now, I'm the oldest of three kids, and I was probably the baddest one. Maybe. Maybe one was worse. Um, but but I, was, I was up there. And there were times as a kid where like, my parents would have to discipline me. 
And there were times where I kind of mocked the discipline, right? Like, oh, that's it, you know, or like laugh about it. You know, then you get it worse. And, 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 and that's part of my person. I was like, I like to kind of poke a little bit. But even in those moments, I didn't like getting discipline. Even though I knew it would invoke or incur, I would incur more, more disciplinary measures. I didn't like it. And I don't suspect that there's anyone here. If you like discipline, like if you like being disciplined, can you raise your hand? No one. No one. We don't like this. But discipline serves a purpose. Discipline has intention. And as much as we want to resist it, and as much as we want to push away from it, we're actually instructed to embrace it, to receive it, and to experience it. Again, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, it says this, My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline, and don't be upset when he corrects you, for the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. And this passage is actually recited and quoted again in Hebrews. And it's reframed and it's reused again to remind us that we should embrace the discipline of God. That we should experience it. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever wanted to discipline someone else's kids? (laughs) Now, I don't discipline other people's kids for a few reasons. Not my kids, number one. Number two, I'm not really interested in the legal consequence. (laughs) Number three, with most people's kids... I don't care about their kids. But stay with me. Discipline requires that you care. That you care about who they become. That you care about what stands in their way. That you care about their potential. And as harsh as it sounds, although I care in general for people, I don't care to that degree for other people's children. So I don't discipline their child. But my own child, it's a different story. I care about her potential. I care about who she is today. She's smiling in the back because whenever I use her name in a sermon, she gets paid. (laughs) Licensing, man, you gotta teach the kids young. Ownership rights. So she's excited about this. But she's not excited about when I discipline her. But I discipline her because I care about her. And ultimately because I love her. And we're taught and we're told that the Lord's discipline is out of his love for us. It's out of his delight in us. And when we're resisting Get this, don't miss this. When you resist the discipline of God, you are resisting the love of God. You are rejecting. I don't know, I don't know if that hits you like it just hit me. But you are rejecting the love of a father when you reject the discipline of his hand. Fifth and final question. Do I seek to please Christ or myself? Now, this might seem like the most obvious question. It might seem like the one that is like, oh, yeah, that's a no-brainer. We should seek to please Christ. But if we're honest with ourselves, I think most of us, myself included, I would put myself in this party. It's the one that we most frequently miss on and the one that we most frequently neglect. 
See, it's so easy to make decisions that are beneficial to me. Easy to make decisions that serve me. Easy to make decisions and choices that please me, that make me happy. In fact, we say this kind of culturally, right? Like, as long as you're happy, as long as you're happy, you know, if you're happy and you're doing it, then, then keep doing it. Even in situations where what you're doing could lead to significant consequences. But I do this too. Man, I want to please Ricky. I want Ricky to be happy. I want Ricky to be comfortable. I want Ricky, you know, to enjoy his life. I want to do what Ricky wants to do. And yet the question I have to come back to is, is this pleasing myself or Christ? Because listen, pleasing myself doesn't produce transformation. We've already walked down that path. It'll lead to more comfort. It'll lead to more convenience. It'll lead to refusing the love of God. It'll lead to me rejecting or walking away from things that are actually going to help me. It'll lead to me denying truth. That's what pleasing me does. But when you begin to make decisions that are based on pleasing Jesus, that are based on pleasing God, that are based on pleasing Christ, you will begin to tap into and unlock the transformative power of Jesus in your life, unlike you've ever experienced before. I said through pain and suffering. Those are the things that like most often have led to the greatest forms of transformation. But you know what's produced the greatest, the singular greatest form of transformation in my life is when I choose to please Christ above everything else. When I surrender my desires, when I choose to yield my will, when I choose to let go and say, Jesus, you are Lord, I've called you Lord, and I actually mean it that you are Lord of my life, and I will give you everything, I will yield to you in everything, I will surrender to you in everything, and I will seek to please you, because when I arrive and see you face to face, I want it to be said of me, well done, good and faithful servant, you've been faithful with a little, and now I will reward you with much. That's what I want in my life. Because I realized this moment here, these 70 years or whatever it is that I've been given or whatever it is the Lord has allotted for me are so temporary, are so minuscule in light of eternity and in light of forever and in light of what God has for me that why would I seek to please myself in this moment when there's a greater opportunity to please God for the rest of eternity? And that's what I seek. And that's what I want. And when you start to do that, when you start to pursue that, you see the world through this divine lens where you're like, man, none of this stuff matters. None of this stuff compares. None of this stuff changes me. But Jesus, he does. And I love the encouragement and the exhortation that Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4. And I want this to be our exhortation our kind of challenge, our kind of step up to the moment. He writes, Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. You live this way already and we encourage you to do so even more. And listen, many of us, many of us in this room are already doing what we can, doing our best to please God. And Paul, just like he wrote some 2,000 years ago, is speaking into our lives in this moment, saying, man, I want you to do so even more. I want you to seek that at an even greater level, with even higher intensity, with even greater faith, and even greater capacity to seek to please God above anything and everything else, yourself included. And here's... Here's what I can promise you. 
when you answer these five questions and when you kind of work through these five questions and when you kind of use that little matrix or that little kind of XY chart and you start kind of processing decisions in that manner, you will begin to experience the transformative power of Jesus in your life. Almost at an instant, and certainly over a period of distance, when you look back over your life, you will realize that who you are is not who you were. The Ricky Ortiz that you see in front of you today at 36 years old is not the Ricky Ortiz you would have seen at 26 years old. And I'm here to tell you, it's not the Ricky Ortiz you would have seen at 33 years old. By the grace of God and through the transformative power of Jesus at work in my life, who I am today is not who I was three years ago, and it's not who I'm going to be three years from now. So long as, so long as I navigate these questions and I work and pursue the transformative power of Jesus in my life. And this can be true for you as well. In fact, not only can it be true for you, but you will also stop wondering about the life you would have had and you will begin living the life you could have. You will begin walking and experiencing and living the best story possible because as we all said, the best stories are transformation stories. So this, this is Meta 3.0. This is where we're headed. And the question I have for you is simply this. Will you join us? Will you join us on this journey? Will you move forward with us? Will you step forward in faith and saying, God, I don't know what's going to come of it. I don't know where it's going to take me, but I'm willing to go on this journey to experience, to engage, to connect, to be a part, to, to live and dwell, not just in the transformative power of Jesus, but to see all of these things come to fruition. As we said, Holy Spirit and prayer and faith and worship and transformation, all of these things to manifest themselves in my life. Will you join us? I can't force you to go but I can lead the way. And if you're willing, our commitment as a church this year will be to take as many as we can, whoever desires, on the journey with us. Thanks again for joining us today on the Meta Church Podcast. To connect further with us, find us on Instagram or visit us online. 